Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast, your weekly dose of all things football tactics and coaching related. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we have another exciting episode for you all today, and a very interestingly niche one at that. Football is a sport where development has been so rapid from a tactical and technical perspective that it's difficult to see where the newest trend will come from. Football writer Jonathan Wilson has a superb book, genuinely one of my favourite football books of all time, called Inverting the Pyramid. The book is all about the tactical development of football, from the first formation, which was a rough one two seven, to the classic WM formation, right up to Pep Guardiola's Barcelona and its positional play within the 4-3-3. The idea is that the pyramid has now been inverted, where teams formerly used a 2-3-5, now a 5-3-2 certainly isn't uncommon. However, it would seem now, a decade later after the book's release, that a pyramid is no longer the right symbol for football's tactical journey. Whereas Herbert Chapman envisioned the WM-235 structure in the 1920s, quite a lot of sides are now using this once more, such as Manchester City, with our double inverted fullbacks tucking inside next to Rodri, with both centre-backs sitting at the base. We saw this at the beginning of the Premier League campaign against West Ham United, which, was, which blew us football tactics nerds away. Formations in football have now come full circle. Many believe there is little more wiggle room in football for how things can tactically develop on the pitch. This was also a belief held by many a few years ago, however, that football had really gone as far as it could and that the growth of the game had stalled. That was until 2019, when the International Football Association Board made one of the most significant rule changes in modern history of the beautiful game, arguably since the outlawing of goalkeepers painstakingly picking up back passes with their hands from their own players. To avoid time wasting, Rule 16 was tweaked so that a team in possession could have players inside the box and would essentially have the fourth pass free. This seems rather basic and perhaps mundane, but caused a ripple effect into how the sport was played from grassroots level right up to the peak of professional football. While we may not give it much thought, the change to Rule 16 was one of the most important developments for the sport in modern history. And to join us here today to discuss its gargantuan impact on football is Matt Burdekin, a football analyst and formerly the director of analytics from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Matt recently graduated from Solent University with first-class honours in his Football Studies Bachelor of Arts degree. For his thesis, Matt was fascinated with the rule change and the impact of it on how teams have changed their styles of play and decided to write 8,000 words on the subject. I'm delighted to have Matt here with me as we discuss his findings from his dissertation. Matt, thanks for joining us here today. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you on this on the topic of your research for your dissertation. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a topic that I'm really passionate about and I'm glad that you obviously wanted to to hear about it. So yeah, thank you for having me on. There's a million and one different elements in football you could have focused on for this dissertation. You chose to focus the subject of your research on the change to Real 16. Why was mm. that? I think um, I've I've always had a, a kind of a love affection for teams that can pass out well from the back so you've seen it with the likes of Man City and you've seen it with Arsenal recently as well that um, teams like that that can build out from the back uh, it can it can be a really attractive thing in football when you know you bypass those those lines and I thought what what you know how can that be be measured into a study and I've always thought goal kicks as well with the short goal kicks is an interesting topic so I was like um, everyone talks about you know how how good it is when teams pass out from the back but nobody's actually like quantified the reason uh, why or like how that has changed since that rule change has come in. So I thought I'm interested in this topic, but also there hasn't been enough studies done on it. So I thought that might be a good way to, to start a research to, to look at the impact of it. One aspect of the presentation you posted online was the history of goal kicks. 
which included actually three changes, I think, just even before the 1900s began. Mm. One rule change that I wasn't actually aware of was in 1992, in which the players could take goal kicks on either side of the six-yard box. I didn't know anything about that. Um, not just on the side of the ball when they would play. What was the significance mm. of this uh, before we get on to the 2019 rule change? And how did the rule benefit teams in any way? Was it just merely a, a time-wasting thing to curtail? So, um, yeah, the, the first thing, the, the the ball being placed on either side, that was purely, um, I mean, it, it seems quite simple, but yeah, originally, basically, if the ball went out, you know, to the left of the goal, then the, the ball would then have to be placed on, on that side of the line, basically, of the six-yard line. Whereas now, if the ball goes out, then the goalkeeper can place it on any, on any side. So that slight change um, just kind of, you know, adjusted how teams can play and they can, if they're stronger in their right side or whatever, then they can, they can choose which way they play. But yeah, basically, um, you know, before, before the rule change, um, there was a lot of time waste that went on with goal kicks, you know, with set pieces, it's quite a, it's quite a good opportunity for time wasting for teams and winning positions. So basically a lot of these rule changes are actually um, to, to impact and try and reduce time wasting in the game. But obviously, as a rule change comes in, if it affects the, t- the way teams play, then that obviously affects the way, you know, tactical setups and everything like that. So every kind of change that they did had a slight tactical change. And obviously the one that um, that I'm studying obviously had a bigger change than maybe just changing the position of the ball on the line. When the International Football Association board brought the new ruling into play, do you believe they knew what how extreme the impact would be on the sport in terms of how teams play out from the back or was it as I said I understand they wanted to just curtail time ways but do you think there was an element of maybe looking for new ways that football can kind of be be tweaked a bit or was that just a mere coincidence? Yeah I, I don't think they did actually because the 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 documents that they put out about why they're changing the rule change or why they're going to change the rule is basically because um the, the initial rule was that the ball was in play as it left the 18-yard box. So, you know, it gets to 89 minutes or something and the goalkeeper wants to play a pass and the defender steps one foot inside the 18-yard box and then the referee then has to call it back. The goal kick has to be retaken because it's not in the laws of the game and you have to retake it. So that's more time wasted, basically. So that's what they were trying to stop. But in the documents that they put out about, about why they're changing it, they probably had, I think it was one line that basically said it should... Um, introduce more positive restarts to goal kicks. There was nothing about, you know, it'll create this tactical change. It can influence a possession-based style of football. It had nothing like that, and it was purely based on time-wasting. So that's why I think it's interesting that a rule change that was brought in for time-wasting has actually had a, a subsequent impact on the tactical thing that they probably didn't even realise would have that impact. It's interesting that you say that, because I remember uh, being a manager in, uh, just at a local side when I was coaching a couple of years ago. This was before 2019, so it was actually, it was 2018, 19. It was just the, the final year before the rule change yeah. was brought in. And we wanted to play out from the back. Every young side did. Obviously, if you were struggling, you would go long, but usually we wanted to try to play out from the back. But, of course, your two centre-backs would have to be outside the area. And the issue mm-hmm. was that when your goalkeeper plays to them, straight away they could be pressed, and it caused a lot of problems. And again, we wanted to play out from the back and everyone wanted to play out from the back because it was seen as pumping that long was a poor way for players to develop, really. if you're, It's kind of just the easy option. It's, it, it's bad for their technical development. But then, obviously, I, I stopped coaching in 2019, but I, I would have loved 
to be coaching when the new rule was brought in so we could have the centre-back inside the area, we could have that force pass free. But I want to know kind of about the the grassroots level a bit. And I know your research wasn't really focused on that, but how big of an impact do you think it had on grassroots level? As I said, I, I, I've spoken about my experience there as a, it would have made things easier for younger players especially. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's huge. I think... Um, you know, everybody's influenced by the top level of the game. So, if, uh, you know, my my research was done on the Championship League 1 and League 2. Uh, there was research done in the Premier League, which I can get onto later. But basically, you know, people look at that as like the benchmark for for how you should play. And therefore, that trickles down into the grassroots level. So, you know, I've, I, I coached a team uh, last year. We tried passing out from the back as well. And it you know, you try these things that you that you that you um, see as successful in the top level game. So I think it has a big impact. And as you said, with that with that first pass being free, there's that slight you know slightly less pressure on that first pass and that first receiver that they can then have a bit more confidence to try and play out. But whereas you said, you you know normally you could take the easy option if there was any risk, but you could at least try that little bit of risk with that first pass because you know they're going to receive it safely and then try and look for the options further up the pitch. So I think it definitely has options to be fully integrated with that short goal kick. You just need to be able to train your players to, you know, pass under pressure uh, and yeah, and deal with the risk that could come with, you know, losing the ball that high up the pitch. There is a tactical revolution, I think, going on in football and every team wants to play up from the back. But I'm curious to know why this rule change made more teams want to play up from the back or was it down to the rule change or was it down to the fact that most teams are playing up from the back now? You look at teams like Manchester City and that's kind of the blueprint now under Pep Guardiola and everyone wants to do it. Because in 1990, the back pass was ruled out. So mm. play it back to the goalkeeper, he wasn't allowed to pick the ball up. Yeah, there wasn't more. More teams didn't play up from the back because of that. Even though the goalkeeper had to play the ball out, they would still mm. always go long. So how much of the 2019 rule change came down to the already tactical revolution that's happening in, in the world or, or particularly in Europe right now? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, before I get onto that, it's interesting to say about the back pass rule because that was part of uh, my study because there's not there wasn't that much information about the rule change. I kind of looked back into the impacts of rule changes before then and it was found that you know, the back pass rule, um, it brought a lot of goalkeepers into situations where they had to be competent with their feet. So basically, as you said, it didn't it didn't encourage uh, goalkeepers to to make short passes as much, but it kind of forced them to be able to, let's say. Whereas this rule change is kind of it's not forcing them, but it's encouraging them. Basically, it's saying, okay, if you're good with your feet, we can give you that first pass free to the defender, and then you can try and build out from the back instead of just knocking it long like we've seen in the 80s or whatever up to the middle of the pitch. It's encouraging more or the short passes, the quick passes, the the tactical setup. And as well, with that setup, with the defenders being able to be in the box, it kind of pushes the opposition forward and then frees up uh, space in the middle of the pitch. So, you know, centrally, but also quite high up as well. So there are examples that I saw after the rule change where uh, teams employed that short goal kick with the defenders inside the box, but they were able to get it up really easily into the centre of the pitch because of the space there that was vacated by the players coming up to press from the other team. So I think there was there was definite tactical changes that were seen and it kind of encouraged teams to play out from the back a bit more. That is something I actually want to ask you a bit later in the podcast is about that force pass free, the opposition press you high up the pitch in the high block and then you go over the press because obviously you're mm-hmm. able to do that a lot more now. Whereas I think most teams have to defend have to have the ability to defend in a high block because everyone plays out from the back now, regardless of whether you genuinely 
actually play through the towards or you just use the force pass to go long. But I want to ask you force before we go into ending. You touched on your methodology. Can you go into more detail about your methodology for the dissertation? You know, to yeah. what kind of data you analyze to check stats from 2018 and 19 and 2019 and 20 before comparing them? Yeah, sure. So I, I basically uh, took the best and worst uh, passing teams from, and that was passing teams based on their completed passes per 90, basically, over the 2018-19 season, which is before the rule change, and then uh, over the 19-20 season, which is obviously the first season after the rule change. So I basically looked at their head-to-head -head games. So um, I looked at, I think it was Brentford, Millwall, Rochdale, Wickham Wanderers, Crew Alexandra, and Newport. So I looked at all of their games, basically basically, and analysed uh, every goal kick that was taken. I did the uh, location that it was aimed towards, so I split the pitch into 30 zones, so I was very specific with where, I, where the ball was then aimed. Uh, and then I looked at the initial um, actions, so was the possession maintained in the first two actions, but then also the end of phase results, so when the ball was turned over to the other team or when it, when it, when it went out of play or there was a positive result like a shot or a cross or a goal, basically. So I basically coded all of that and uh, that was there was 11 games. There was going to be 12, but because of the COVID pandemic, one was cancelled. But out of the 11 games, there was, uh, I think it was just over 200 goal kicks and analysed all of these and then obviously coded all of that to get these stats of, you know, the um, the percentages of how many goal kicks were uh, results in the possession maintained and how many goal kicks uh, got into the opposition third and how many goal kicks ended up in, you know, positive results with possession being maintained. So, yeah, just over 200 goal kicks, uh, slaved away doing that on, on how Excel. How long did that all and, take? Basically, but uh, it took... Um, I did it. I did it quite intense. I probably did it in about two weeks, solidly. Mm. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not as intense as maybe over a few days. But it took a while for me to get the right data because I was very picky about what I wanted to see and what I wanted to find out from it. So each goal kick probably took about five to ten minutes to code because I wanted to get every single piece of data about it because I knew it'd be valuable, obviously, in discussing the results. Actually, now that you're speaking about Crew Alexandra, we had David Artel on last week, and he was the manager mm. of Crew when you would have analysed that, which is which is interesting. But earlier on, you spoke about the Premier League, and you kind of steered clear of the Premier League, and you focused just on the Championship, the League One, League Two. Can you talk to us about the the data that was already available from the Premier League? Yeah, so um, it's actually um, there was a guy. I'm going to say his name, Lorenzo Dolcetti. He basically did the the only and um, the only study that I found anyway on the impact of the rule change basically uh, and he did it for his master's thesis um, and he, he basically looked at Premier League teams and he did something similar where he looked at the head-to-head -head, um, of these teams basically of these games and yeah he looked at the Premier League but he also focused uh, I would say solely on on the time wasting aspect and he found that the rule change does actually uh, reduce the time wasting which is obviously what the um the rule change was brought in to do but then he, he also looked at the the certain uh tactical and technical implications and then he also found that more short goal kicks were taken and possession was maintained a bit more uh but he didn't really go into the the kind of detail that i wanted to so i wanted to basically build on that and in his uh, recommendations of further study he recommended to go to the lower league so i was like if he's done the Premier League, then I'll look at the Championship League One and League Two and see if there's a difference basically between his findings and mine. Do you think 
that the lower leagues gave you a better understanding of the the data available to you and what why would what's the biggest difference between using the Premier League and using the EFL the the, the three EFL leagues yeah I, th- I think it's interesting because um the main variable that I found is that you need the you need technical technically capable players to play out from the back you know you're you're having those quick passes you're, you're passing under pressure from a high press so you need to have the players able to withstand that and be able to pass out and progress through the lines what i found was that um as you would expect championship um teams were the best at that league one were obviously the middle and then league two they played the least amount of short passes and they still focus on the long passes so I think it was interesting to see the differences between the leagues and obviously the quality that comes with that. But then also, if you look at just the Premier League, you get kind of a, a sugar-coated perfect view of, of goal kicks because obviously the quality is so high. So it was nice to see in my in my studies that there were teams that wanted to play out from the back, but there was a team that when they tried to play out from the back, they actually conceded a goal because of a high press. So there's differences in quality and you need to have the quality to be able to carry out that, mm. that progression from the back. In the 2018-19 season, in your presentation that you had that I was reading, you said that 92% of the goal kicks you analysed were pumped long, I suppose. Yeah. It's a poor way to phrase that. After 2019, short goal kicks were increased by 22%. I think that was, mm, as, yeah. as Arusha says. Were the majority of these actual build-up play from the back or were they simply, as we spoke about earlier, just kind of ball, free ball to the centre-half and then he goes long? Or were they actually trying to, did it encourage actual playing out from the back in terms of trying to beat the press, play through the thirds? Yeah, I think from what I saw, uh, it was encouraging, yeah, playing out from the back and trying to go through the lines. But there were there were examples, you know, I've, I've got a post that's, um, that I'm going to be posting today where basically you can see that um, Brentford, uh, they play out from the back and they progress it to about, you know, just past their, their defensive third. And then they pump it long, basically, and they find a player just outside the opposition 18-yard box and they have a shot from it. So you can play it out from the back. And you, as you say, you do get that first pass free. So you can you have that security. But there are teams, I saw Rochdale, for example, do it where they would um, make one or two passes and then they would pump it long. But because they made those one or two short passes initially, they've got that space that's opened up in the middle of the pitch because there wasn't that crowding that you normally get from a long goal kick. So... It was kind of a mix, you know. Brentford had um, Brentford had, I think it was uh, David Ryan goal, mm-hmm. and he was, you know, he really wanted to to play out from the back, and that's what their defenders wanted to do. But yeah, I saw Rochdale; they passed a few, and then they would pump it long. So it was kind of a mix of both styles. And how did that affect the opposition then? Because obviously, before the rule change, if teams went long, the opposition wouldn't need to press high. But now, as we spoke earlier, most teams do set themselves up to play from the back regardless of whether that's their intention or not and then the opposition have to kind of match that they push higher how does that change the long ball so you're no longer pumping it up towards say the opposition are more compact than they're going to try to win the second ball now they're a lot more stretched out because they're also trying to match you in case you do go short yeah i mean what i noticed was that um you know the rule change was very was obviously very new in that 2019-20 season so what I saw was that teams that were passing out from the back actually had a lot of success of getting it out because the opposition didn't really know whether to to sit back or to press high. So when they did press high, it was usually only one player kind of choosing to go out on his own. And it wasn't like a, you know, an organized, you know, for, formalized 
or attempt to go forward and press high basically so it was quite easy for teams like Brentford to play through those you know through that press because it was only one player really whereas like now you see as the years have gone by and as you've you know you've become accustomed to how teams play out from the back there's a more organized press but yeah as you said there were still players that wanted to to press high to try and stop that first that short goal kick but as you said it, it kind of it creates that space in the middle of the pitch where because they're a bit more stretched there there is then less players in the middle so with those you know with those short passes or that long ball there's more space for those players to receive so it kind of stretched the opposition and also became a bit disorganized at times because they weren't sure whether to go whether to stay you also said in your research that possession was retained more after the ruling why was that and in and in in what way do you mean retained so I basically looked at uh, um, at the initial um, whether they maintained possession initially after the first two actions. So you know, if there was two passes made, then that's possession maintained without you know without being tackled, without being dispossessed. But then I also looked at the um, the end of phase results. So as I was saying, whether the ball goes out of play, it gets turned over, or there's a shot or a cross or anything like that. So um, I was expecting a slight increase in in possession maintenance from a short goal kick anyway, with the immediate one because. You know, you get the first pass free. Uh, the opposition wasn't sure whether to go or not, so you'd have the first two passes basically. But the thing that did surprise me was was the yeah was the increase in maintaining possession at the end of the phase. So that phase could have been you know it could have been one minute basically, and it's still classed as the goal kick phase because they're still progressing up the pitch. So I saw an in, uh, an increase in shots, an increase in crosses, increases um, in set pieces won from the short goal kicks which is it actually surprised me because I wasn't expecting such a high increase in in positive results which I class as maintaining possession um but then you know if I was to if I was to analyze it, it's probably because there's more space in the pitch to, to work into and it's easier to go through the lines instead of you know just pumping it long and kind of playing lottery and pinball of, of whether you're going to win possession and keep it because you're you're more secure in the possession when you're when you're progressing it yourself rather than just knocking it long you also, obviously, I think you, you mentioned you had to analyse two. I think it's 203 goal kicks is the final figure that you, you analyse yeah. for it. How many different routines did you notice? Because obviously the, the, the most, mon- not the most mundane, that's a poor choice of words, but the most basic form would be you, the goalkeeper squares the ball to one of the cent- central defenders. But you can also use the, the, the single pivot yeah. at the top of the box. So how many different kind of variants did you notice or was it all just to the left centre back to the right centre back. Yeah, I mean, I would say I don't have the the official stats, but I would say ninety five percent of it was squaring it to a centre back. Uh, I saw a few of them where, as you said, they were they were put up to the the single pivot just outside, just you know by the by the D of the box. Um, but a lot of them were just squaring it. Um, I saw some interesting stuff actually before the rule change where they would still square it, but the defender would just be outside of the 18 yard box so um where the opposition wouldn't know whether to come you know that far into the corner to try and press it um but yeah after the rule change you know you have the the two center backs either side of the six yard box they'd square it and then they'd either try and dribble it out or try and progress it through the lines through passing so it's pretty simple stuff at that stage but again you know through the years since the since the rule change there's been three or four seasons now i've seen progressions of different you know different tactics where you know it's not even the goalkeeper taking it, and it's the centre back starting the goal kick mm. and using the goalkeeper as you know as an extra player in possession. So 
there's changes now that have come in, I guess, when people are finding their feet with how to deal with the rule change. There's a lot of benefits to the rule change, of course, and playing out from the back is one thing. And it, I, for me, as a football fan and a tactics lover, I much prefer the rule now because I love seeing teams playing out from the back. I think it's great build of play is one of the most beautiful sights in football. But there are downsides, which is mistakes can be made. Now, I'm not sure how much detail you focused on this in your dissertation or if you focused at all on it. But obviously, playing out from the back would encourage opposition, as we spoke about, to press higher. So teams like Liverpool, who are excellent at pressing, and other, and among others, can force you into mistakes. Did it cause more mistakes for one? Um, I Yeah, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't specific mistakes from it. Um, I mean, I mentioned about... Uh, Brentford conceded a, a goal from passing out from the back, but it wasn't directly from a goal kick. It was just something that I noticed in the game. So, you know, having that style can cause more mistakes. But um, what I found was that um, the short goal kick, you know, implementing that is is kind of the epitome of high risk, high reward, where that um, more, more short goal kicks ended up in the opposition third, but more short goal kicks ended up in the uh, defensive third than if you were to go long, for example. So if you want if you want safety and security, you go for a long goal kick that's going to end up in the middle of the pitch 90% of the time. But if you want to go for a short goal kick, you could end up really high up the pitch, but you could also end up with losing the ball for a throw-in or something in your defensive third, and that obviously creates more pressures. So I think, as I said, that the opposition the opposition pressing was was often disorganised. So there wasn't so much of that that Liverpool high press trying to win the ball back in the 18-yard box that we see now. But there were examples where they tried to play out from the back. They missed a few passes uh, and basically it went for an opposition set piece uh, in their defensive third. So it kind of brought the pressure onto them. What, what impact, if any at all, did it have on how opposition teams look to press? Because, again, I don't, ha- I don't have figures to back this up. This is just merely my own, my own eye test. But I see a lot more teams say pressing zonally now, so if they'll you know sit in a high block, but they'll position players so that if the ball goes either side, they'll be able to push the block across, and then they can go maybe more man to man. How did how did it change the way teams press now? And are yeah. more are more teams pressing? I think more teams are pressing because I think um, more teams are pressing high because more teams are playing out from the back. That's what I see anyway. Uh, and as you say, yeah, yeah, teams are setting up for that high press uh, and what what I saw from my study as I said it was still very new and uh, when I looked at the you know at how teams set up from the rule change but um, there were still teams that would basically kind of let the centre-backs have it and then press immediately well, immediately when it uh, came to the wing-backs so kind of as it progressed a, ch- a tiny bit higher you know towards the middle third of the pitch they would start to really press so it there was there was limited um, limited tactical organisation I would say in the press from what I saw in the in the rule change, but as you said, there's more there's more organisation now. There's more um, there's more a desire to press high, basically, because you can see what it can do. You can see those Liverpool games where they they press high, they score a goal from it, and teams want to do that. Teams want to win the ball back as high as possible um, because then that obviously creates creates a goal scoring opportunity. So I've seen I've definitely seen an increase in that since the rule change, but then also I've seen an increase in teams playing out from the back, which probably you know, they both go hand in hand. This is what I wanted to ask you about because obviously from the goal kick, the goalkeeper will play short to one of the central defenders or to the six at the top of the box. But how how did it affect how many 
more teams play out from the back, not from goal kicks. I'm just talking about, okay, you're at the halfway line and you can't break through the opposite block. So you go back to the goalkeeper, you push back, you reset, you look to build out from deep. Obviously, that's not a goal kick, but did it have a ripple effect on more teams wanting to play out from the back in any phase, or in the in the build-up phase, not just from the goal kick? Yeah, definitely. I think um, the, the games that I saw, I mean, I, I, I keep saying about Brentford and Rochdale, but they um, Brentford had David Raya and um, Rochdale had Robert Sanchez. So obviously two Premier League goalkeepers now that like passing out from the back. And those teams I saw after the rule change, not only with the short goal kicks, but as you said, in, in general play, they would uh, they would use that as an extra player in possession if they needed to. So um, there were teams with, um, you know, Wick and Wanderers are, are an example. Um, they their goalkeeper was a was a good shot stopper from what I saw, but um, technically with his feet they didn't really trust him with passing back. So there was a, a stark difference between Rochdale passing out from the back and using Sanchez, and Wickham would basically just try and clear it long, and they obviously had Akin Femmer up top who would try and get those flick uh, flick ons and yeah knock down. So it's different styles, and obviously you're not gonna you're not gonna change every team style. Every team has a specific style they want to play, but I definitely saw, especially with Brentford and Rochdale in this study, they they wanted to incorporate the goalkeeper a bit more. And I think that's not only from the rule change, but just general, you know, you see the teams like Man City use use Edison like that. Um, and it's just a ripple effect down the leagues, I think. So you believe it was overall like an incredibly positive change for the sport? Yeah, I think um, I think any change that, that looks to enhance players' technical ability is a good change. And maybe that's just me, but I think, you know, um, changes that, that encourage goalkeepers to be technically capable with their feet uh, makes the sport more exciting. It makes, you know, you love to see when, when goalkeepers can, can ping a ball, when they can pass under pressure, everything like that. And this rule change was a small part in, in encouraging, you know, players to be able to play out with their feet. And now you see teams looking for goalkeepers that can play out with their feet. You know, you see with David De Gea, for example, where, he struggles with with passing out from the back and Man United then get punished for it. Mm-hmm. But then you also see teams like Man City where they've got a very capable player and they, they kind of adds to their team, you know, exponentially. So it it's that rule change has been a slight change in that, but I think it's it's definitely positive for the sport because it, it makes it more exciting at the end of the day. I was actually gonna bring David the Hay over my next question, but are, are you surprised by how quickly things have kind of unfolded in terms of how teams look to recruit now because obviously they need centre-backs that can play from the back they need goalkeepers that can play from the back every top side every side wants a goalkeeper now that's comfortable with the ball at their feet and as you said Manchester United are the exception and they have David De Gea who I'm not here to talk about his goalkeeping ability he's a fantastic goalkeeper with the ball at his feet I think we can all clearly say there's deficiencies there so yeah have, have you been surprised by how rapidly things have unfolded it, it didn't even take much time I mean we're talking only three years after the rule was brought in now everyone's hell-bent on getting a goalkeeper they need a goalkeeper to play from the back yeah and I thought I think everybody was surprised uh, you know we all remember when Pep came in and he just banished Joe Hart straight mm-hmm. away and it's things like that that it kind of it, that kind of started the 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 trend off where even before for the rule change, teams were looking for goalkeepers that could play out from the back. And obviously that rule change, I think it kind of accelerated that need for the change. So, you know, Joe Hart got binned in something like 2016, but their rule change came in 2019. But then you see teams, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan. So I saw Bernd Leno try and pass out from the back. Um, and 
he was okay at it, but it didn't really didn't really click with those players, with the defenders they had and the goalkeeper. They weren't technically capable enough, basically. Um, and that that then speeds up the recruitment process. So you then need to find, you know, um, defenders that can pass out from the back, goalkeepers that are press resistant. And you you never say that in you know twenty years to, um, twenty years back that you need a goalkeeper who's press resistant. But that is what that is what is needed nowadays, and that's what the the modern game asks for. So that then encourages the recruitment to look for those type of players who are capable on the ball. And there are still a lot of goalkeepers from the, I don't want to say older generation, because I say that they're still only late 20s, early 30s, but, or even older than that, guys like Ben Foster. He openly speaks about when his teams are trying to play off in the back. He doesn't, he goes long because he can't, he can't play off in the back. It's just not instilled in him. But, because of the rule change now, there will be generations in the future that have come up from youth football, from under mm. sixes, under sevens, with the rule completely as the way it is now. So they have to play off the back, they have to be comfortable. How do you see the future of goalkeeping in terms of how good everyone will be technically? Because they'll be like they'll be like superhumans, they'll be like midfielders nearly. We'll have well, every yeah. team will have an Ederson. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it because I mean if, if every team has an Edison, then I think we're in for a real treat. Um, that's what I like about football. I like when mm-hmm. when goalkeepers can pass out from the back, when they can play out from the back. I don't think we're quite at the stage where they're going to be dribbling past players, but I think we're I think we're in for a, for an interesting uh, couple of years where we can see goalkeepers progress. And as you say, you know, kids are kids are growing up uh, these days looking at these these goalkeepers at the elite level who can pass out from the back and play out easily under pressure. And that's what everybody wants to be now. Everybody wants to be an Allison. They every, everybody wants to be an Edison. So therefore, everybody's going to try and be like that and pass out from the back. It's impacting, um, you know, academy coaching. It's impacting grassroots coaching. As as you said, you tried to play out from the back. You know, it impacts everywhere. So for for kids to then grow up playing like that, I think it's really exciting. Not just for like English football, but just everywhere as well. Um, I think. It will impact really positively with technically capable players. Um, and yeah, as I said, if, if every if every goalkeeper that's growing up turns out to be a mini Edison, then I'm all for it. There has been very few rule changes to goal kicks since, I mean, 150 years now. I think yeah. in the presentation you said there was maybe five or I think six or seven overall. I'm not sure. There's very few anyway. Do you see forward down the line how goal kicks can be improved in any way shape or form do you see any flaws in it at the minute um i can't think of any any rule changes that would that would drastically impact it i think um you then have to look at, at sizings of the 18 yard box maybe but then that's changing you know that's changing something that's, that's been perfect for for ages now so I think that the main change that we'll see is ta- tactical setups and how teams set up in, in the box. So I think rule changes as it goes, um, there'll be slight rule changes in the future, maybe with goal kicks about time wasting, because unfortunately that's still something that we mm-hmm. see. Um, you know, you still see, you know, as I said about how teams can can place the ball on either side of the line. How many times have you seen a, a goalkeeper put one on the on the left-hand side of the box and then he's like, oh, I don't like the grass there. I'm going to change it over to the right-hand side. So there could be there could be changes that, that kind of eliminate and eradicate that time wasting somehow. I don't know how they would go about doing that, but I think the main change that we see is that continuation of the tactical growth of goal kicks um, and how to successfully play out from the back. Um, and as I said, with the, with the introduction of a more technically capable players, 
um, that's only going to grow and expand with that, you know, that setup. So, Matt, you, of course, wrote this 8,000 word dissertation on, on the rule change. What were your key takeaways at the end, your summary, your conclusion that, you know, the main things you took from this? Yeah, so, um, I mean, as I said, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of short goal kicks, but I wanted to try and not be biased about it, basically. And I didn't want to say it's an absolutely perfect rule change. So, um, but what I did find out was that um, it was better for maintaining possession, not just um, initially, but also at the end of the phase, as I've talked about. Uh, it is also better for yeah positive results. There was more shots and crosses that came from it, which I thought was a really surprising takeaway. Um, there was also a lot more short goal kicks that ended up in the opposition third, which um, again found interesting. But uh, on the flip side, uh, long goal kicks remained you know optimal for getting it into the opposition half. So if you're looking for that security of just I want to get it away from our penalty box, then long goal kicks are the way to go. But if you want to, as I said, have that high risk, high reward, if you can play out from the back, then it can be beneficial but it still remains quite a risky strategy, especially if you don't have the players to do it. Um, I also uh, finally looked at the the impact of the, the game state, so whether they were winning, losing or drawing. Um, and it was found that, you know, for for in people in winning position or teams in winning position, should I say, they kicked it long 92% of the time. But if they were if they were losing, they would try a short a short goal kick for 59% of the time. So there was a big shift of if you're winning, obviously you going to pump it long but if you're losing teams were more um they were more focused towards trying to find ways to beat the opposition basically and they they wanted to pass it short a lot so more. you think so, by going longer they were looking when they were winning they were looking for that more security i suppose when they yeah. were winning yeah 100 so there were teams that um you know as i said with wickham they they didn't actually attempt any um any short goal kicks but especially when they were um when they were winning teams like wickham and teams like uh i think it was uh, Newport as well they would just kick it long when they were winning and they just wanted to get as far up the pitch as possible and who can blame them if that's the way to if that's the way to get it out of danger then fair enough but it was interesting to me that when teams were losing they they wanted to try the different the different ways of of beating the opposition so yeah I think the um the rule change it improved possession it um improved the like positive results from goal kicks which I guess is something that you don't really think about. Can a goal kick actually result in a shot down the other end? Um, but as I said, it's for territory gain. And, you know, if you wanted to stick it long, then um, that's the best way for a long goal kick to, to get it out of danger, basically. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this chat. And as I said, it was one of the most niche but interesting things <laughs> I've read in a while. Genuinely, I was fascinated. It's something I never thought about. And it's it's been part of football now for the good to three years. This is not something I thought yeah. about. And I said to you before we started recording that I was doing research online to get as many questions as possible. I want to, you know, pick your mind and pick your brain, but there was nothing. Yeah. There was nothing. Yeah. And I think it's it's funny because I um I've always as I said, I, I like I like teams passing out from the back. And I have a I have a big thing where I have to I have to really be passionate about what I'm doing in life. So I was like, if I'm going to write 8,000 words about something, it has to be something I'm passionate about. And there are there are parts of football that you can write about, but I'm, I am I like my tactics. I like to do analysis and stuff like that. So I was thinking, what can I, can I marry that kind of passion for analysis up with something that I enjoy? So it's like short goal kicks. I really enjoy that. How can I, how can I work that into a dissertation? And as you said, there, there wasn't much about it. So it took, it took a while to, kind of win my supervisor over and say, I can actually do this. Um, 
because there wasn't enough information. But I, I basically, I got what was already out there. Um, I did a, I did a lot of digging actually, and then married that up with with my own research. And I am actually very happy with what I've done because I think it actually accurately re- reflects what I thought uh, would potentially happen because of this rule change. Are you going um, to so, release the rest of your findings? Yeah. So. Um, I'm doing it in a, in a kind of a series, basically breaking down just as I've broken it down to you, where, you know, you look at the impact on possession and the impact on on territory gain and the impact on the end result. So I think it's interesting to split it down by that, because, you know, you can you can argue that you would expect possession to be gained um, a bit more or possession to be retained, but you wouldn't expect that there'll be more shots and more crosses. So I think by breaking it down into those kind of those sections, it might be easier for people to understand um, rather than just reading an 8,000 word dissertation that <laughs> even for me is quite a long read. So I want to try and make it into easily digestible things that people can then read if they want. And then if they if they ever want a short goal kick chat, then then I'm always happy for it. Amazing. Where can people find you, Matt? So uh, I'm on LinkedIn, um, on Matt Burdekin. Uh, and if you want to grab my email, then that's also on my LinkedIn. So just scroll down there and you can find me on there. But yeah, I'd be happy to chat about anything. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. I really, as I said, I really enjoyed this chat and I wish you all the best in the future. Yeah, thank you so much, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Brilliant. I'm really grateful to Matt for joining us. It's a short notice and it was a really interesting topic as well. I think my key takeaway was near the end where he spoke about how teams are more inclined to go long when they're winning and play short to try and play through the opponent's press when they're losing games, which I thought was a really fascinating little insight there little tactical detail i hope you all enjoyed this chat as much as i did you can find me at age 24 on twitter and you can find total football analysis at total analysis on twitter thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week with another episode goodbye for now <laughs> <laughs>